Welcome, everybody, to Mormons on Mushrooms. Uh, just a reminder that this is a storytelling podcast where we discuss alternative methods for healing from trauma and seeking a more fulfilling life. A lot of times on the podcast, we discuss triggering topics, and we ask that you make your personal mental health top priority. Uh, lastly, the opinions offered by our guests don't necessarily reflect the opinions of the hosts. Sit back, buckle up, and enjoy. You guys consented? Oh, it's a consensual thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, how's everyone doing? How are you doing? So, uh, we are we we're not using a pseudo. We're just saying from purity to poly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. How do we want to start this one off, guys? I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> uh, I think we just say hi, welcome, purity to poly. What is it? Purity to poly. Purity to polyamory, yeah. Purity to polyamory. Mm-hmm. Um, our guest today has uh, much like mostly me. Mike, you're pretty much out there now, but uh, our guest, most like me, would like to maintain some level of privacy and anonymity. So we will be referring to her as Purity to Polyamory. P to P. Yeah, so we got connected, I mean, through Instagram. And I don't remember. If we found your page, you found us. I don't remember how it happened, but I just, it just resonated with me so much. Um, and so maybe we can get into a little bit of your upbringing. Sure. And maybe that's a good way to start. But it just, I think this conversation will help a lot of people. And, and just, you know, so our listeners are aware. I mean, we, we did that episode with Christine Falconer about a couple months ago. And, um, and so on this one, we really want to focus kind of on purity culture. And how it shaped us, how it shaped you, um, and how we've shifted that. Um, yeah, that's where I kind of want to focus it. I mean, we, we can hit on the polyamory thing a little bit too. Um, I don't, I, I guess I'm worried that like, I don't want all of our episodes to be about polyamory, but at the same time, <laughs> yeah. that's been one of our most downloaded episodes. So yeah. well, I was going to ask what the response was, has been like to that episode. I mean, it's definitely the most, one of the most downloaded. Okay. Um, it's also been one of the more controversial ones where some people are just like, look, I couldn't make it through this one. It was too triggering for me. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So it's been fascinating. It's been good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, one <laughs> thing to know is that um, I'm not ex-Mormon. Um, I was raised in evangelical Christianity. So um, I'm curious if you've had other guests on who were not, or who are not ex-Mormons. Yeah, we actually have had a, a, quite a few. Okay. We have um, Ashley Easter, who was ex-evangelical, okay. like a really intense, like cult within a cult within a cult stemming from evangelicalism. Is that, how would you say it? How you say it? Evangelicalism? Yeah, she, was, she was in the, like, uh, like, like, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for when someone is like a real adherent to the religion, like orthodox, she was like orthodoxy within orthodoxy within orthodoxy, yeah. like, like cult-like type of thing. Oh, Okay. Yeah. And then we had Tiffany, who we just had on. We've had a, a, a bunch. And I think I really like bringing guests on who um, weren't Mormon, because I think we it'll be fun to kind of compare and contrast our experiences and yeah. how similar they are. And I think it's really helpful when 
uh, yeah, I just know, and I've said this on the podcast before, but one of the big things for me when leaving Mormonism was visiting the ex Jehovah's Witness subreddit because <laughs> it was the same type of control, just in a different package. Yeah. And so seeing that in a different package really helped me look at Mormonism through a new lens too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So you, you, you said evangelical? Yeah, just non-denominational evangelical Christianity. But I, I had a lot of, not, I, I guess I wouldn't say a lot, but um, there's definitely followers of mine who don't come from an evangelical background. And I definitely have a lot of ex-Mormon followers and um, other such. I, I'm really interested in hearing other people's experiences in different denominations and stuff. So I'm excited about today. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Same. <laughs> so why don't we start there? Actually, what could you give us? Like, maybe tell us a little bit about your background. Your, your, you know, growing up. What was your childhood like? And then what happened? And how did you get to where you're at now? Yeah. So I had a somewhat mild experience of uh, in Christianity um, in my childhood. I my mom was a single mom. Um, and so she, and she wasn't, she was a Christian, but she didn't ever really push anything on me in terms of religion. I went to a Christian elementary school. So I was just kind of getting indoctrinated, um, not specifically from my parents. Um, and I found myself, um, going to a Christian summer camp, I think when I was in like third grade Mm -hmm. and I went every summer after that. So that is really where I kind of took on my faith and, you know, accepted Jesus into my heart and became just a full on, like I was, um, leading the little Bible studies. Like our, our friend group had like a Bible study that would meet like really early. Like I was probably like 12 years old and I was like leading this Bible study group (laughs) for my friends and I. And so I was just like really into it. Like everybody was like, okay, she's, she's the Christian girl. Right. So, um, yeah, I think that that that's basically where I came to find my faith and it was sort of my own, not something that my parents, um, put on me, like a lot of people I know. Um, and then just within that is the idea of remaining pure, something that comes up so often in the evangelical circles. Um, and I can't really tell you like when it first sort of the, the idea of it first came to me, but, um, it's kind of like this culture that sort of just like swept through. Like I remember like going to the Christian bookstores at that age and like seeing purity rings for sale and like little pledge cards that, you know, you would sign and you would give to your pastor or your parents if they were that involved. Um, And there was specifically like this book written by Joshua Harris called I Kissed Dating Goodbye that was like circulating amongst teenagers during this time. Mm. And the idea behind the book was that um, you should court, like you, you shouldn't date someone just to date someone. You should date or court them with the intention of getting married. Uh. And in that, you shouldn't kiss at all until you're married as well. I, I, I suppose it was the idea. So this was, these were all things that were just like, um, being sort of like popularized. Is that, is that a word popularized? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Um, 
like in, it was like the cool thing to do in the, in the Christian circles that I was in. So. Well, it brings me back. I mean, Mormons can relate to this a lot. Cause I remember I, just the idea of one in, I think it's probably still the same now, but in Mormonism, you're encouraged to not date until you're 16. Mm-hmm. And then when you do date, it's like group dates or it's always with that goal of marriage in mind, you know? Uh, and I don't know. It's a conversation I have a lot with my therapist with, uh, you know, in, in talking about my past and how I, I never, I didn't feel like in high school, even I could, uh, or junior high or whatever, like look at a girl, find her attractive and say, Hey, I want to go out with her. Unless I'm like, Oh, is she marriage material? Could she be a good mother? What, you know, it's like, it's not like, no, she's just attractive in high school. Yeah. And so So you grow up so fast with that, you know, or you skip some steps that I think are very important. Definitely. So it's interesting to me. You, so you guys had like a, it sounds like you had a bit more structured um, plan for dating. So 16 was the like cutoff age. And then you were like allowed to like, then be looking for your future spouse. Is that. Then you were almost uh, not required, but encouraged to start looking for your well, 16 to 18. You're supposed to kind of like group date, never have like, never have like a boyfriend, girlfriend type of deal. And then like starting at 18, especially for women starting at 18, it's like, okay, now you got to find your forever spouse. And our kissing rule, and you guys tell me if it was the same for you, but I remember you weren't supposed to kiss anyone until you were 16. And it was like a whole thing for me because I remember I had my first kiss and I was like 14 and I so liked this guy. I was like, oh my gosh, I like him so much. And he wanted to kiss me and I broke the rule and I said, okay. And it was like a peck on the lips and I was on cloud nine. And then I got home and felt so guilty. Yeah that I didn't even tell my mom about it. And so for some reason I thought that she knew because like the next day we're driving home from school and she's like, you know, I was just talking to so-and-so's mom and she's having a hard time with their kid. And you are just, I'm so blessed to have you as a daughter. You are just so um, amazing and you follow all the rules. And I was like, guilt, guilt. I was like collapsing in my shame. And it became a whole thing to where um, I was dating someone who I really liked in high school. I think I was 15. And I was like, mom, he really wants to kiss me, but I know that I can't. And she looked at me and she goes, well, you can kiss him if you really want. And it's like the heavens open. And I'm like, really? And I got so excited. And I just have to tell you this because it's so funny. So I planned the day that I would kiss my boyfriend for the first time and my mom knew about it and she told my brothers and told my dad and I had no idea they were doing this. So I was waiting in the basement in our like movie room and he comes in the door and I think it was my brother handed him some gum and was like, good luck. And then he kept going through the house and then my mom handed him some mints. (laughs) It kept happening. So by the time he got to me, he had like all these things and he's like, really, Shalise? (laughs) I was like, I'm sorry. That's so embarrassing. (laughs) So yeah, it's, it was a whole thing. How was that kiss? It was actually like, I wasn't expecting it because also, you know, it was the first time and I was 15 
like you've been kissing somebody. And here's another really irrelevant story, but it's funny. I back because we had those phones that like it was hard to keep track of the threads at the time, you know, like the old Nokia's or whatever. And I accidentally text the guy I kissed the text that I meant to text my best friend where I said it was meh. <laughs> it was mortifying. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and he goes, what? And I'm like, <gasps> I mean, it was great. <laughs> No, there's no coming back from that. You can't. <laughs> no coming back. Like the blood drained from my face. And I was like, I can't go to school anymore. That's just, that's the end of my life. Um, because it was such a big deal. And there was so much pressure around it. And I, I think I also didn't want to like it because that would mean it would lead to other things. And I just couldn't do those other things. So just like keep it on the DL. Play it cool. That, min- that minty fresh kiss could turn into <laughs> so many different like sexy times yeah yeah anyway that's my embarrassing kissing story but it's interesting that um you know with the emphasis that we put on marriage especially in mormonism and was there a huge emphasis on marriage in your evangelical church as well i would say yes um but i think that when you really think about it i think that it just sort of happens like naturally because you're telling a bunch of young people that they can't have sex. Mm-hmm. So then you're like, okay, well the solution is I'll get married, you know? And so that's why so many of, you know, evangelical Christians like at the time are getting married so incredibly young because the hormones are going and how long can you hold that off? Yeah. Yep, that's familiar. <laughs> So, yeah, I was saying it's interesting with the marriage, you know, the emphasis we place on like, and so in Mormonism, it's eternal marriage. You know, when you go and you get married for time and all eternity okay. um, and you're getting married usually at, you know, 20, 22, 24, really young. I um, mean, you know, I was 22. My my mate was 20 and we were there. We found each other and now we're going to be together for all of eternity, you know, Um there would be more emphasis in like trying things out before to make sure this is the person you want to be with all for all eternity. Right. Like with the emphasis, I mean, I lucked out, but like, you know, it was a roll of the dice. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Like we're telling children basically that they have to choose the one person that they're going to be with forever. And in your guys's case, eternity, it sounds like, um, God, I can't, I can't even like the pressure that that puts on a kid is insane. So, yes, it's so weird. I mean, listen, I want to get back to talking about you, but yeah, we, we got a lot of fucked up stories about trying to find these forever mates and it's like i mean me i i I dated my now wife of 20 years for four months three months four months before i popped the question and then we had like a two-month engagement and so i mean might as well scratched off a winning lottery ticket you know what i mean that's that's about as lucky as i mean that's about as lucky as it gets did you guys have the same feeling like we better make this we better hurry up the the wedding here for you know sexual purposes <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah yeah we got married because we wanted to have sex i mean <laughs> uh, yeah also we were in love and we still are but we really just wanted to uh rub our naked bodies against each other that's right yeah <laughs> and so um 
do you remember some of the messages you would, you would get growing up, I guess, where they're, yeah, like around it. I mean, you talked about that book that everyone was reading. I mean, any other messages come to mind that you got growing up? Yeah. I remember this one specific conversation I had with a counselor of mine at that summer camp and her telling me like about this couple that she knew that was about to get married and how they had waited and they they were waiting until the altar to kiss and how incredibly amazing that was that they've held off and like how God is going to honor that. And it's like, it's so holy and he's just going to bring this amazing blessing to their marriage because they've waited. And so like, I think I was probably 15 when I heard that story and I had never had a boyfriend or anything like that. Um, and so I was like, yeah, that's, that's what I want for my life. Like I want that extra blessing that God's going to give me if I wait for that. And so, um, I didn't start dating until I was 16, I guess it was the next year. Um, and I had internalized that message. And so I brought that into that relationship from the very beginning and that's what I wanted. And so I just kept kind of like pushing back on him. He, I met him at the Christian summer camp, but one thing that comes up a lot when I talk to people is that they were really pushing the purity thing, mostly for the girls and not as much for the boys like we were the holders of the purity, like, and so that's the dynamic that I found myself in when I got into that relationship. Like he hadn't really ever heard of what, you know, maintaining purity or what that looked like. And so it was just a lot of um, me trying to maintain a boundary and him pushing that boundary because it didn't matter to him. That part, that part was not a part of his faith. Well, that's the thing that it's, that's what's, I don't know, this is going to be riled up a little bit because it is, the burden is placed on women as like the gatekeepers of purity. I mean, we have messages in in the Mormon church that women should not uh, become walking pornography to the men. It's this, it's this image that's painted that the men are just raging hormones and have no control. And so it's the, it, the women need to keep themselves in check or the guys are going to fly off the handle and do crazy shit. And it leads to this rape culture. It leads to so many different things. And even for me, um, you know, it made me feel like when I, when I had sexual desire, when I had hormones that really shame that animalistic part of me that was just going to go out of control one day. And also it made me think that girls didn't want it too. So I always had this thing, you know, growing up, like, I, I haven't kissed many people. Like I, 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 there were plenty of dates I wanted to kiss, but then it was kind of like, well, if I kiss her, am I going to lead her on? Am I going to be like, you know, this or that? And, you know, it, I don't want to treat her like a piece of meat or whatever, which I don't want to do that. But at the same time, she wanted me to kiss her as much as I wanted to kiss her too, you know? And it could have just been a fun night of kissing and making out. And, but I, I felt like I'd put women, it, made me put women on a pedestal and kind of like, Oh, they're, they're the gatekeepers. They're so pure. They're so, uh, holy. And I'm here. I am with my animalistic instincts going to go mess it all up. Can I share a story that just, please. (laughs) So one of my serious boyfriends, the one that I had 
right before it was basically the reason I ended up leaving the church based on what happened. But I was with him for over a year and I was still a virgin and he was not. And he cheated on me twice with women that he referred to as sluts because he said that he needed the sex and he didn't want to corrupt me because I was so pure and innocent. So his solution was to go cheat on me instead. And I was just like, cause that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's ties in exactly what we're talking about with that. Yeah. So crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that idea carries into us in marriage as well. I mean, um, this just this general like idea we have in our society that men like oh they're just pigs right like they just want sex and they don't care about women and we just have to like give it to them like because that's our duty as wives like and it just becomes this like total crossing of consent and boundaries within a marriage too and nobody really like understands like that these things are happening like within the context of marriage like you know consent is being crossed but we're not talking about it yeah even even that is an interesting thing to think about because because then there becomes this thing where like mike i put women on a i mean put them on a Losing you a little bit, Doug. Wait, you're good. Just back up. You said you were putting women on a pedestal, and then continue from there. Yeah, I might have to try to switch this thing out. I'm I'm in a hotel, and I don't think my Wi-Fi is all that great. Classic. I don't have good Wi-Fi. That's a weird. That's a weird thing, huh? Well, I want to hear your thought, though. You just repeat it. You're good. <laughs> we'll roll with it. Yeah, it's totally good. So what I was saying is that there's this there's this belief, or or it, it's it's. Uh, promulgated that women don't like sex. And then if women hear that enough times, they have to either buy into that, like believe that, or they have to feel some kind of way about themselves for enjoying sex. Like they got to feel like they're dirty or wrong or programmed differently. And then that shame cycle continues where we, then, then we just stop having open communication and healthy sexual boundaries and good, good sex, you know, because, because there's this, all this shit going on in both parties mind, the, maybe the the husband or the man, I'm not going to say the husband, the, the male is thinking women don't like sex. The woman is thinking, I'm not supposed to like sex, but I kind of do, but I feel bad about liking it. And then the man picks up on energy and this is just sex between a man and a woman. I mean, we can talk about sex between all the different people who should be having sex with each other, but that, that is what is cultivated within those strong Christian or, or I, I shouldn't say Christian, strong religious uh, platforms. Are you guys, can I, do I need to change out my no, connection? No, I think we got it all. You're good. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It just at the beginning. It was, it was cutting up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I agree that's an issue because I think we mentioned this before on the podcast, but in Mormonism, they don't even put emphasis on female masturbation, like at all. I didn't even know what it was till I was like a senior in high school. I'm like, women masturbate? (laughs) It blew my mind. Um, And it's like, they just assume that we're not going to do it. 
And so I remember them asking me those questions um, when I was young, right? Like the gross sexual questions start happening in interviews when you're 12. And, the, and what do they say? What is the exact wording? Have you been keeping the laws of chastity? <laughs> and I just would be like, yeah. <laughs> like, how would I not? I'm still a virgin and I haven't let any guy touch me. I mean, I wasn't even masturbating at that point because obviously I didn't know what it was. But still, like, it never crossed my mind because they don't even talk about that in the young women's or at least the young women's lessons that I was in. It was just don't have sex and don't let anyone touch you type of thing. So they would actually ask you all if you were keeping the laws of chastity, like how often was that a thing? Were the bishops interviews when you first started like twice a year, but if you wanted to go do baptisms for the dead, you had to do an interview for it. And sometimes it'd be like a surprise interview, but, you know, yeah, they would just bring it on you. Yeah. And, and what would happen if you said no? So I remember specifically one time I felt so guilty. I must have been 15 or 16. I think it was 16. And uh, my young woman's was doing baptisms for the dead, which was a quick way to figure out who was worthy and who wasn't based on who went to that activity. And I remember I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to confess to the bishop that I grinded on my boyfriend when we made out. Like I felt so bad clothes on everything but there were some what did we call it dry farming (laughs) we call it dry farming (laughs) and I just remember confessing this to my bishop and my entire body was just clenched up and my stomach hurt and I was sweating and my face was hot and red because I also didn't even know how to explain this to a grown man in a room with just me by myself And, um, luckily I had a great Bishop because he just smiled and was like, Shalice, you're more than worthy to go to the temple. I was like, ah, not only do I have to tell this man about getting horny and grinding on my boyfriend, but it's probably going to mean that I can't go on this trip. And then all my friends are going to judge me knowing that I'm not worthy of going on this trip. So it's really a toss up with the Bishop that you get. Okay. Wow. It's a game of roulette in a way. They call it Bishop, Bishop's Roulette, you know? Yeah. So you, oh, go ahead. I, I'm just curious, and I'm sorry if I'm like asking you guys too many questions. I'm oh, just trying to, um, so if you were to like say, you know, I I had sex with someone or whatever, like what were the, what what happens after that for you? It all, that's where it all depends on the bishop. Sometimes they okay. could, like, I remember even one time like, when uh, my mate and I were dating, I, uh, yeah, whatever, I'll share it. But yeah, I'd come to my pants, you know, as we're making out and I felt so guilty for that. And so I was staying at my parents for the summer and I needed to renew my temple recommend. So you have a recommend to go to the temple that you have to renew every year. I think it's two years now or whatever, but, um, my cousin was getting baptized. Or, no, my cousin was getting uh, married. No, sorry, my cousin was getting married in the temple, and I wanted to go, and I didn't need to renew my recommend. So I made a, an appointment with my parents' bishop, confessed to him about ejaculating in my pants, mm-hmm. and then I was like, "Well, can I go to the temple?" He's like, "Well, what do you think?" I'm like, "No." He's like, "No, I don't think so either." <gasps> 
So I didn't get to go to my cousin's wedding. Just because, you know, we got a little hot and heavy with this person who uh, we weren't fiancés at the time, but we were about to be, you know? Yeah. Oh, we got a little echo there, Doug. Got it? Got it. Can you hear me now? Good. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry about the. Yeah. Were there were there any consequences? I'll go ahead. Were there any consequences like that in the evangelical church, or did they police it as much? Was it more? Yeah. No, I don't think they quite police sin as much like that. Um, but it, I mean, it really varies depending on denomination, I think. And um, for myself, my who I was dating at the time, um, we would go over to his family's house and every time we went there, they were a lot more conservative than my family or really any, um, Christianity I had been exposed to. Every time we went over there, they would ask us if we were being good. Oh yeah. That was, that was how they said it. Like, are you being good? And, Every time my husband would say, yep, yep, we are. Well, because we were, we, we held off for quite a while. <laughs> um, and then we got engaged and I went down the like rabbit hole of like, we're married in our hearts, right? right. So, right. <laughs> so, and there's a ring on my finger and we're getting married and he's definitely my soulmate. And we're like, we've got the wedding set. And so let's like, I'll just go for it. Cause it's been actual hell to hold this off for yeah. two years. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, shit. yeah. It, especially wow. when I was the one that was the only one in the relationship really that cared. <laughs> So I was like maintaining that and it was a constant fight. We fought about it all the time. And then to go to his family's house and have them ask us that. And he's just kind of the kind of, the kind of person that doesn't like just sort of has no filter. And, you know, so we went over there and he said, no, we're not, we're not, we haven't been good. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. Under the bus. <laughs> oh, and they, yeah. And they sat us down. And we had a whole conversation. It lasted like a couple hours. And, you know, a part of that was, well, you've got, you know, four more months until the wedding or whatever it was. Um, And it's not too late to sort of reclaim your holiness or I don't even, I can't remember how they phrased it, but it was just like, it's not, it's not too late to just to um, remain pure from now on. Like you guys, yeah, you messed up, but like you can be good until then. <laughs> oh, I hate that. It just like everything in my stomach just cringes. Yeah. Ugh. And there was a lot more just like really awful, traumatic um, moments through the next few months until we got married. And then like, I remember distinctly the it was like a few days after we got back from our honeymoon, we went over there and all of a sudden it was slightly complete 180. And I was being treated like this amazing, wonderful person now when I had really like not even been talked to for, a, for quite a while before I got married. But like, I just had so much worth now 
now that I was a wife. So. Man. So when I, Mike and I both serve two year Mormon missions and you have to, you have to qualify for that through these bishops interviews that we're talking about. And when I was away at college, I had a girlfriend and to steal Shalise's term, we did a little dry farming or Levi loving or dry humping, whatever you want to call it. And like, I feel like I, uh, I, oh, we almost did oral. Like it didn't, it didn't happen because we both felt too guilty and we like backed away from the whole situation. But I, I had to confess that to my bishop at, at college. And he was like, okay, well, let's work through it. I mean, a, God bless a bishop at a college because they get all sorts of who knows what going on. But then it, it was coming up time for me to do my mission and put my paperwork in. And I left college to go back home. And he he said, I have to have the same conversation with my bishop at home. This is the guy who like knows my parents and like goes to dinner with them and, you know, has like, like parties and stuff with them. And by the way, Mormon parties, like these parties are like uh, dinner at six, home by 730 type of parties, but still knows my parents. So I'm bottomless, bottomless root beer flows, getting all hopped up on sugar. Yeah. Go ice blocking, maybe, <laughs> maybe go crazy and take ice yeah, blocking. Ice you know, blocking. Go down anyway, uh, <laughs> so I'm telling this guy that I've known since I was a little kid, I'm telling him about like dry humping. And he's like, well, you're, you're, you're not ready to go on your mission. Like we gotta, we gotta delay this by six months. So then I had to deal with Whoa. six months. So then I had to deal with that shame of everybody in my congregation, knowing why, I mean, there's no, there's no real other explanation as to why this 19 year old isn't on his mission yet. And I had to deal with that shame. And, uh, it's a real thing. Like the, the college, the college Bishop was like, you're good, man. Everybody's doing this. Just be careful, you know, keep yourself out of trouble. The home Bishop was like, no, six months starting now, we're not putting your mission paperwork in. So I, you know, I, I kind of felt, I kind of felt like I was wearing a scarlet letter. I was wearing that badge of shame for six months. That's why I worked extra hard on my mission. You know? Wow. Like, I didn't know that story about you. Cause I, that is like the mini walk of shame in Mormonism. I mean, it's not to not many as in like, wasn't shameful. It's like, I think the two big walks of shame are one, if you have to leave yeah. your mission or, to if you can't get married in the temple and you've sent out invites and like then you're like no can't get married you know um but that's also one delayed mission is is right up yeah, there with a, it it's a it's yeah. a big one it's a weird thing man because you know the conversations you know? I assume, sorry i didn't mean to interrupt that's okay i i assume they don't take the six months off the end you still have to do the yeah two years. yeah you yeah i wish yeah that <laughs> <be beautiful. laughs> um before we get into more of your, uh, your story, um, I just want to share one thing because I think there's an element in all of this. When you think of like taking it back to like archetypal psychology in a bit, like the, the maiden and the absence of a sexual awakening kind of in our theology. And I don't know if it's the same in evangelical, but we really try to remain in the garden. I mean, you think of all the archetypal stories about you're in the garden and then there's some sort of a awakening, a sexual awakening. And now you're in the world and you're in the mess and you're in the dirt and you're in 
the highs and the lows and you're experiencing, you know, emotion and ecstasy and bliss and sorrow. Um, you know, even like you think of like the myth of like Persephone and she goes and she uh, plucks a flower. You think of the, the symbolism of that. And she, that's what sends her to the underworld. And that myth is kind of missing in all of this with, I think Mormonism, you know, and probably evangelicalism, it's like purity, purity, purity. Now you're married and you're still kind of pure because you're now you're in the bounds of marriage and it's eternity and things last forever. You're still in the garden where things are supposed to last forever and, and there's no death and sorrow and anything. So it's kind of a weird, weird deal. Yeah, that transition is interesting because you're every time I had any kind of like sexual experience with my future husband, I felt guilty and shameful and like it was wrong. And then as soon as we got married, like afterwards, it's not as if that just instantly goes away. Yeah, it's, it's so hard. I had a whole argument with my bishop, which was like, the one reason that made me dive into the church to be like, I feel awful. This better be true. And then it wasn't. Um, But I had this whole on argument because we had had oral sex, me and my boyfriend. And it was one of those situations where he's like, come on, let's just do it. And I'm like, I don't know. Are you sure? Cause we're going to get in trouble for this. And he's like, no, it's fine. And then right after he's like, we should go tell the bishop. I was like, Ah, like F you. So always, always the guy. The guy goes not always, but yeah. <laughs> so uh, we tell the bishop like we have our own separate interviews, of course. And the bishop was like, "Oral sex is wrong, and it's unnatural, and it's nowhere to be found in the Bible, and it's like just shaming me for not only having a sexual experience, but for being wrong. Like somehow something is wrong with me because I want to do that." And then he was like, "That'll be a year." before you can go to the temple. I was like a year. That's the punishment for actual sex. And he's like, well, oral sex is sex. I'm like, it's kind of not though. (laughs) It's just kissing on another part of the body goes, nope. And then I was like, but if I was married, it would be fine. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah. And I lost it. I lost my mind. I was like, you can't tell me something is unnatural until the state gives you a paper and now it's okay. And now I'm normal. Oh, I was so mad. So mad. I think it would be funny if oral oral sex was in the Old Testament. That'd be pretty good, uh, you know, like Leviticus eighteen twenty three. You know, talking about like eating pussy or blowjobs or something like that. <laughs> it's my kind of Bible. What would they say? He, he knew her with his mouth, or like what? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you got married young, right? Yeah. So I got married at nineteen. So. I ended up going to a Christian university um, right out of high school, and I had to sign a contract that said that I wasn't going to dance, drink alcohol, or have premarital sex. Whoa! So basically all of them. Signed an actual contract, yeah. You went to college in the Footloose town. Is that what's going on here? (laughs) (laughs) I know. It was insane because I actually came from – like living with my mom, like a single mom and she was working all the time. So she was kind of gone all the time. And my boyfriend at the time, like was over at my house all the time. So we were not monitored like ever. And 
then I went to this Christian university where I'm like signing this contract and they have like rules about like how boys can't go in the girls rooms except for like Tuesdays from six to 8 PM. And you have to keep your door open <laughs> during this time. Yeah. It's like BYU. Yeah. Like we were yeah. yeah. And so I, I signed this and was of course like on the weekends going over his place. Cause he, he had his own place. Um, and, and like I said, definitely having premarital sex during that time. Um, and it was just like so much guilt and shame and fear that like, I, I didn't know what would happen if I was found out, but, um, I'm not really sure like the steps that they took. (laughs) Um, but I mean, yeah, I just like, I had to hide it from everyone. I remember like my, my roommate and I got really, really close that year and she was like my best friend and I couldn't tell her what was really going on. Um, and, and just like, really, I hid it from most of my friends at the time. Cause we were, they were all like, we were young and they, they weren't dating. And so they didn't get it. Um, so it's easy. I think it's easy for like young Christian kids to, to think like, Oh, you just, you remain pure. Like you just don't, you know, and like, you don't get it until you get into the relationship and you're like, it's not that easy (laughs) when the hormones are flowing, you know? Um, yeah. And so I got married. I, or I spent a year at the university and then got married, um, at 19. And I remember thinking, okay, so I'll, I'll get married and all of our issues around really consent, honestly. Um, and just, and not that he was crossing the line majorly, but he was pushing on, my boundary over and over and over. I mean, it was the only real big, huge fight we had while we were dating. Um, And I remember thinking multiple times during the dating phase, like as soon as we get married, this is going to go away. Like Uh. it'll go away because we can have sex and it'll be great and everything will be awesome. And um, obviously like that's not what happened. So it carried in. And I think another, and I'm interested to hear your guys' experience with this is um, in evangelical Christianity, the idea of women being like their husbands, like, I I even hate the word, but there's a word called helpmate. And it's like, your creed, your purpose is to, to help your husband, right? And so a part of that is when he wants to have sex, you say yes. And um, I would say like, even though that wasn't the way he was coming about it, it, it was still in my mind. It was still like that message was internalized within me. And so I just, we just went through this cycle of um, me feeling bad for, for saying no and him kind of pushing the no or pushing the boundary. And then like, or like, maybe like being upset with me if I said no. And then it's like, oh my God, am I serving my purpose correctly? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing as a, as a good Christian wife? Yeah. I mean, yeah, go ahead. No, I want to hear you tell it, Mike. Well, I was saying, yes, that's, and it, that's where it continues. Like the day it's not like, okay, the damage was done when you were, uh, in your teens and whatever. Now you're married. Now you have sex and it's, Oh, now it's okay. No, it just continues. And that lack of consent within marriage in a way, I mean, your, your yeses only mean as much as your nose. And if you can't have a no, 
within, you know, I, I think that something just gets lost in, in all of this. And then how did you feel at this point in time about sex? Was there still a lot of issues on trying to be excited about it? Cause I know that that's a huge problem with Mormon couples. It's like, no, 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 no wrong. Evil sin next to murder. And then make all the babies now. Mm. And so it's really hard to transition from all of that programming to the complete opposite. And so I'm wondering, did you feel like sex was a beautiful, wonderful, exciting thing? Or did you feel like it was just meant for procreation or like, how did you view sex after you were married? Yeah, it was really hard for me to get outside of that shame box. And so a part of that was you're really not going to be able to explore like a, a full sexual, like your full sexuality. If you can't even, for instance, say the terms, like you can't even, you know, say vagina, like, (laughs) um, and even just that, like it creates this like feeling of like shame around all of, all of the, the terms and anything. And so, or anything that is somewhat outside the like vanilla box. Right. Mm. Um, and so we just continued with this like cycle of me really shaming him. Like I remember like, because his drive was higher than mine. Um, and I, I, I had kids young. So like, I remember specifically like spending an excessive amount of time on Google, um, Googling like sex addiction. Um, and thinking he has a sex addiction, like hands down, he like, he's a sex addict. And I wanted him to like get help for that. And I shamed him about it. And I, and he was also like, not in that box. Like he didn't feel confined to that box like I did. And so he had things that he would share with me in fantasies and stuff. And I would be like, that's gross, you know? And I would, I would shame him. And So it was the biggest like tension point in our marriage for the first like 10 years, basically. Yeah. That's so relatable. I'm sure there's so many people listening that are like, yep, that was me. (laughs) It's, it's just such a hard thing. Like you said, when you don't grow up with feeling safe about even talking about your own body parts, how can you possibly expect to have any sort of healthy sex life if you can't even connect with yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and that pedalization of women, is that a word maybe? I don't know. Like putting them on a pedestal continues through the marriage, right? Where it's, um, you can't, even in that dynamic, you're like, oh, the man is this animal with the sex addiction, and because sex is like this obligation. And of course, if sex is an obligation, the one's going to be like, it's that kills desire right from the gate. And so in that, it creates that I'm having a hard time with words today, you guys, but it, it creates that like scenario where you have, um, it just, it just continues. Does that make sense in any way with the, like this animalistic male and this purity woman. And because it's, and if sex is this obligation, it's not like this courting. It's not like 
warming up the feminine, you know, flirting and, and it's, it's like red light, green light. And if you know anything about like female, like sexuality, that's not how a woman works and gets turned on. It's not like, okay, yeah, let's, let's just go. It takes, it takes some play. I don't know. It takes some, yeah. Foreplay. Right. And there's no place for that in, if it's an obligation and a duty. Yeah. And I think the, one of the biggest things is in order to have like a good sexual experience, there has to be a feeling of safety. Yeah. And when you have someone who has a higher drive, isn't taught consent in, in the full way, and they're continuing to push because they, they think that, you know, that's what they should be doing in order to like get what they want. There's you're, you're, you know, I just never felt fully safe to like say no. And we ended up going and I had sort of started my like deconstructing process, like, I don't know, eight or 10 years um, into our marriage. Um, so I was starting to like unpack that. Um, and I, we ended up going and seeing like a sex therapist um, because I was like, I remember like thinking like, it, we're going to get a divorce. And the reason that I put on the, you know, divorce thing is going to be like sex. Like, this is so crazy to me. Like, how is this such a big deal? So we ended up going and see the sex therapist and she was like, well, what, what turns you on? And I was like, well, I've, I've never thought about that before. Like, I really just hadn't, like, it had always been about him. Uh, What age were you at this point? Oh gosh. I was like 28. So let's just pause for a minute there and say you're 20 years old and you've never thought about what turns you on or felt allowed to. Yeah. It really felt as if most of my sexual experiences with him up until then, and he was the only person that I had ever kissed or anything. So it really felt like it was all for him. Right. I mean, what was the term that you said that you were supposed to be to him? Help me. Uh, help me. Yeah. Yeah. At least I that's mean, actually, that's actually in the temple video. No. Oh, yeah. Yes. No. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Too bad you didn't go through the temple. So you should just try to go back and just at least go through the <laughs> temple. <laughs> just get a recommend and go in. I, I would hate it with every fiber of my being. I think. And you kind of love it too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, was, I, I did have that question, though, like, was that in terms of sexual experiences within the context of marriage, were women being told in the Mormon church, like, you've got to just say yes when he wants it? Interesting. Have, did you guys experience that? Don't know. So the thing about the Mormon church, and I, I thought about this and you mentioned our interview with Ashley earlier, Shalise. Yeah. Mormonism, we don't, we're not a, as explicit sometimes with our weird, but the, the subcontext is there. Does that make any sense? Like, I don't know if it's a, like overtly taught that, yeah. but I, that's the message that comes through. Mm. And it's the culture of it. So yeah. I have heard of women um, 
who were older. So because I left the church when I was 20, I didn't experience as much of the crazy dating stories that some women do if, if they're not married by 20. So I've heard of women going on dates and the the guy saying, oh, well, you have to do like I'm the priesthood holder. So you have to like, to, like do what I want. But I haven't heard it necessarily in the bedroom. But I mean, again, our commandment is to multiply and replenish the earth. So it's actually a commandment to just have sex all the time. Well, yeah, that, <laughs> procreate. that commandment. And then in, in, in the, in the temple, uh, what, what Mike's talking about, the man makes a covenant to obey the word of God. And the female makes a covenant to obey the word given to her from the man. So, I mean, that, that's, that's straight up out of the temple uh, for, you know, were the Mormons going in and, you know, doing that whole thing. It, it, to answer your question, Shalise, I, I didn't, I don't know. I'm sitting here kind of blown back by this conversation yet again. Um, I never, I've never felt any kind of like sex owed to me. I, I hope my wife doesn't feel that way, uh, but it, I don't know. I feel like we talk about sex so much. Sex is like the fucking problem. Like it's like the, it's like the cause of an answer to all of life's problems. It seems like with all this shit we talk about when it, when it talk, when we're talking about people who have faced abuse, when we're talking about people who have faced shitty marriages and shitty relationships and have a tough time connecting with people. I feel like it all comes back to men having no control over their sex, sexual origin. I don't know. I'm sorry to, I, this is off script or off interview. I'm, I'm just kind of sitting here shaking my head about this fucking conversation. Like this topic, man, men. You see what you just did there though, Doug, which is kind of fascinating. Like men having no control over their, it's just following the narrative that we've been given. Right. Yeah. I did. Yeah. You're right. I, I should have worded that differently. I just, I was, no, I think it's great you worded it as you did because it shows that those scripts that are implanted at a, to us that at such a young age just fucking continue, you know, and they, they're running in our subconscious mind that, you know, men can't control themselves and this. And um, yeah, so it's just those stories run so deep. And, uh, and this purity bullshit has been coming up a lot for me lately and it comes up in my dreams a lot. Um, I get, I have dreams of, did you ever get like, analogies, uh, in like your evangelical church about like chewed gum or licked, licked cupcakes? I did not personally, no. but I have spoken with a lot of people who had all sorts of crazy metaphors thrown at them in, in varying sermons about, yeah, chewed up gum and like, or like a ripped piece of paper that can never, you know, go back together, things like that. Well, let's get into that a little bit. So you, you started this page called Purity to Poly. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's been cool to see that on Instagram and see the response and see, I mean, you're, it's such a cool space and, and such a healing space. And like, I love like watching the stories and when people are sharing, I don't know, I, 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 Maybe first let's, let's start with what got you to start that. And yeah. then we can talk about some of the things you've heard. Like, 
um, yeah, some of, some of the things that people have told you, you, like some of your followers on your page? Yeah, sure. So I guess if, if we go back into that sex therapist office, um, and, sh- and that really was a pivotal moment in my life. Um, when she asked me what turned me on, it, I, and I was like, I don't know, <laughs> maybe I should think about it. Um, and so, and at the same time I had had this friend, um, or we had a friend of ours, um, who was a single guy and he and I were friends and we started having this sort of like flirty chemistry between us going on. And I like, obviously like went straight to my husband and was like, there's something going on here. I just want you to know. And him being the, the much more kinkier of us, um, and the less vanilla of the two of us. I really, I, re- I thought he was going to respond like with, we'll never speak to him again, you know? And, but his response was, oh, well, that's kind of fun. And I was like, excuse me, what? <laughs> like it totally threw me for a loop. And I was like, oh my God, you know? Um, but it, it was like in, like at the same time as we were, you know, in this, this therapist's office and she's asking me and I realized like I had started fantasizing about this other person and I was like, what turns me on? Well, the, the, the thing that turns me on is the idea of being some, with someone new. Uh, yeah. And I was like. Which was that a scary thought when that came to your mind? Like, Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was a scary thought and it was like, holy shit. I got married to the person I've been with since I was 16. And I'm never even going to know what it's like to even just kiss someone else like what does that feel like what do you know what what do they smell like like what I don't know like I was just like it, it really like came down on me like I was like wow I've signed up for one person for the rest of my life in that moment and as things were sort of just like unraveling and I'm asking myself like what turns me on and grappling with well what turns me on is like the idea of of a new person so it was hard. And at the same time, I had really come to, um, sort of like a close on my, I'm losing my faith right around then. And I always like to say that like the last piece of my deconstruction was wrapped up in my sexuality because like that shame and guilt was such a big piece of my Christian faith. Um, once I started like allowing myself to fantasize about being with other people, I was like, I can't do this unless I let go of that. And so that is like when I was like, I'm not a Christian anymore. And so once I like opened that door, or I guess once I allowed myself to like say like, I'm not a Christian, like then I was really fully like, well, then nobody's watching out. Like, like, fuck it. I'm going to go down this fantasy route and we started just like talking about what it would be like to have a threesome with someone else. And, or like I confessed for the first time to him that I had like looked at porn and I remember like being so scared to tell him that. And he was like, awesome. You know, like he was so excited that I was finally like opening my, you know, world, I guess. So well, one thing with there, just real quick, you know, in another episode, we talked about like following your full fuck yes or following your highest excitement. Part of that is what turns me on, you know, where, where's my pleasure coming from? Like, 
if, if you can't get in touch with your pleasure, it's hard to know what you really want in your life and what your full fuck yes is. And so it's interesting that that's, yeah, you were leaning into that and it's spurring these conversations, which you couldn't have for a while. And I can relate to that in a way with like, thank you, plant medicine. You know, my, my mate and I have had an amazing re- relationship and amazing, I mean, it's all, it's been good across the board, but it's opened up so much in our conversations in the last few years since, since plant medicine about like talking about fantasies and what, what's your fantasy What's you know, and that's something that we didn't even delve into, especially when we were Mormon and recently ex-Mormon, it was still taboo. And so, yeah, I'm loving all this. <laughs> yeah, it was really, I, I say it like every time I talk about it, like that was the best part of our relationship. Like maybe not like considering like the beginning when you're like in that like new stage, but we had like an, a, a, a renew, you know, and we went through this period of time where we were sharing these fantasies openly with each other. And it was just so fun. And like our sex life was amazing, you know? And, um, I, we did that for, for a while. And, and then I was like, well, I was kind of like, still like on this, like new person thing. Like it was a fantasy of mine. And I was like, how would you feel if I got online and started to talk to other people just for fun, just to see how that was. And he was like, yeah, that would be amazing. Like he was super encouraging of it because he thought it was, again, it was just like great that I was opening up and we weren't finding about sex anymore. It was like, whoa, like this literally healed us. We stopped going to see the sex therapist. Like it was awesome. Um, And so I was like, okay. So I, but we, we didn't know at all what non-monogamy was. Um, And I think that this is like such an, like a good example of like, another like collateral damage of purity culture (laughs) because like obviously non-monogamy is not something that ever gets brought up within the context of the church right no (laughs) that's adultery is what you're speaking of (laughs) yeah we're just talking about eternal marriage and you know the disneyfication the mormonism of like you go to the castle and get married happily ever after and yeah Yeah. So when you maybe as a couple start like thinking about these things, you're very ill prepared. (laughs) Like, and if you don't spend the time to read and research first, you're probably most likely going to crash and burn. And that's exactly what happened. So yeah. So we, I started um, like talking online to people and we were having fun and he was like, our agreement was like, he could read it and like, it was really fun. And like, I remember the first person, the first guy that I talked to was like, like read the situation really well. And he was like, okay, like he, he basically got like, wanted to get me from like point A, which is like the prude for lack of better terms, prude Christian woman that I was to like full on slut. Right. Like, That was his goal. And my husband was like, yeah, this is great. And so like, I remember talking to him and like, he would, he would just like encourage me to get like more and more like, um, risque with my photos to him and all these things. And my husband was like on the other end, like, yeah, this is awesome. Um, and so it was like a really fun period of time. Um, and that went on for a while. Um, and then I ended up meeting someone 
And it was like instant chemistry, instant feelings. And um, I, you know, I had a few friends, very close friends of mine that knew about what was going on. And I remember them being like, this isn't going to end well. Like this is, this is not good. You shouldn't be doing this. And I remember telling them like, well, no, it's fine because like I found my soulmate. Like I, I'm married to my soulmate and I love him. I'm not going to fall in love with anybody else. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. And so obviously fast forward to meeting this person and just this like wealth of emotions and feelings came in and um, I was communicating to my husband the whole time, like about this person and, and they, he ended up being local. And I said, like, I want to, I want to meet him. And we had had like the, like we had talked like about the fantasy of a threesome and stuff. Um, but I wasn't really ever sure if that was going to like come to fruition. And I was like, Hey, I'd really like to meet this person. And he was like, Oh, um, it was just like everything changed. Um, he could, he could see like the happiness on my face from how I felt about this person. And, um, he originally, he just was like, okay, I'm going to try and manage through this. And, um, he's like, you can keep talking. It'll be fine. Um, and so that's what I did. And for a few months, this continued. And then like one day, you know, he, he actually read a conversation between this other person and, and I, and it was just like pretty caring and loving and not just like only like sexual content. <laughs> um, and he was like, I'm done. I'm done. Like, I can't do this anymore. And just like completely shut the whole thing down. Um, and he's like, I'm never going to entertain the non-monogamy conversation. Like it's done. Everything's done. Whoa. That's hard. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so I had gone from, you know, six months, a year prior, this person that barely could say the words, you know, of body parts and such to now being what, you know, I had been encouraged to be and to do. And I was a completely different person. It was like, I, you know, I was a genie that had been let out of a bottle. Like there's no putting the genie back in the bottle. Gotta rub you the right way. Yeah. That was a beauty, Shalise. Can we title the episode this or not? <laughs> yep, it was um, a total mind fuck. Um, and I just was like, what the hell am I going to do? Like, I. And, and the, the curiosity about being with someone new had just like multiplied during that time. Like I was like, and I realized like, I, this isn't going to ever go away. Like this is just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse from here on out. And it was yeah. just, uh, we went from ha- being like the best in our marriage, like the best time in our relationship to the worst. Well, it sounds like it brought up a lot of triggers. Yeah. You know, um, I have several friends who are practicing, you know, ethical non-monogamy and like in conversations with them, you know, you, you, your shadow is going to come out, you know, your triggers are going to come up, abandonment issues are going to come up. And so as much as it sounds like your husband at the time, he uh, obviously had 
his own like desires and was leaning into that at the beginning. And like, this is exciting. This is great. And then boom, the childhood Mm -hmm. wounding comes up, right? The abandonment, the, and that's, it's a lot. It can be a lot. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Especially for two people who were very um, ill-prepared and unaware of um, what they were doing. Um, So yeah, we just, we went through a really rough, actually couple of years. Um, and during that time, I really started to dive in and really research what polyamory was because I was like, I know that I love and care for him and I want to be with him for the rest of my life. Um, but I do also have these feelings for this other person and how, how does that, how does that, um, I'm sorry. It, are you guys hearing my emails come through? Mike, yeah, yeah. it's a little the same thing, and I'm like frantically trying to figure out how to turn off notifications. But anytime, an email, so anytime an email comes through, an angel gets its wings. So we're okay. <laughs> I'm just like, is that silent or is that, can they all hear that? That's <laughs> I'm not worried about it at all. Okay. <laughs> like, no, finally, someone else is this happening instead of just me because <laughs> um. Yeah, so I'm like, sorry, I don't remember where I was. So you were you had a, a tough then couple of years, and but you were saying, hey, is this the person I want to be with forever? But I'm also having these conflicted feelings because I've got this person who I'm connected with. So you left us on it, and then you and then you went to commercial talk about your email beeps, <laughs> and now it's like we're on this cliffhanger. <laughs> Tell us more. Yeah, so I'm like doing all this reading about polyamory and it just like all of the pieces just like fit for me. Like I was suddenly like, wait, hold up. You can love more than one person. Like, like it's not just like going to cancel out the first love. (laughs) And I was like, this is insane. Like this is, this is how I feel. And, and honestly, like, um, it just sort of like aligns with who I am. Like I'm kind of like a, um, adventure type spirit. Like, I really like traveling and um, just new experiences, like novel experiences. And I was like, wait, why Why is it that we can say, like, like you, you want to experience as many cultures as you can to, like, learn? Or, like, we obviously, like, have a variety in, like, our food and, like, all of this. Like, and that's variety is the spice of life, right? Like, why does this not apply to people as well? Like we, it doesn't make any sense to me. It really just doesn't. And it was like, all of a sudden my world turned upside down. Um, and so obviously like, I was like, well, shit, here we go. I I don't know how this is going to go. So I like ended up writing him this letter and just saying like, I, I want, I think I want polyamory for my future. Like I just really identify with it. Um, and the concepts of it. And he essentially was like, nope, nope, that's not going to work for me. And um, we spent about two years um, going back and forth about this. And he, uh, there was, there was different times where we, each of us took different approaches. Like I would put it away for a certain amount of time and just not bring it up. Um, Like I think I think one span of time was like eight months. Like I just didn't even bring it up at all. That's a long Um, time. Yeah. And then like 
he also about like he he also had a period of time where he ended up saying like let me see if this is something that would work for me mm-hmm. and sought out um another relationship and um then ultimately just decided like that it didn't work for him and monogamy was what he wanted and I, I during that time I just really spent a lot of time like questioning like oh like one thing that kept coming up for me was is it just like my feelings for this one other person mm-hmm. or is it this other kind of life that I really want for myself? And I spent a long time just sitting with that thought. And I ultimately just decided like, no, this really just does like align with who I feel like I am. And so we ended up just sort of in having a compatibility conversation and and deciding that we were on two different paths. So um yeah, that, that kind of brings you up to speed of where I'm at in, in my personal life. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of transitioning now um, from, from having been open for a little while with him to um, now a few months into a separation um, and seeking like a solo polyamorous type lifestyle. So what that means for me is just like that I'm, I'm kind of my own primary partner. And um, I really don't want to be in relationship with anyone who um, doesn't feel comfortable with me allowing my connections to grow organically how they do. I think it's beautiful that you know what you want because also polyamory is not for everyone, right? So like, it's good that you set your boundary with him and you made it very clear, this is what resonates with me. And if that doesn't resonate with you, that's okay, but we can't be together at that point. And then setting the intention moving forward now that you're separated for anyone that does come into your space, that you're very clear, this is what I want. If it doesn't resonate, then it won't work. So I think that's really admirable. And this was a long journey. I mean, you said eight years of like iffy sex life. And then how much time were you allowed to kind of practice polyamory and then how much time after that? Cause you said you didn't even bring it up for eight months. It's like, how long were you actually married? Um, 14 years married. Wow. Yeah. And, and to be, to answer your question, how long did I practice polyamory while married? I, I never practiced polyamory while married, like fully. Right. You know, like non-monogamy in, in like an online <laughs> version, like, yes. Um, but being able to be in a relationship, like a loving relationship with someone else. Right. Never. Like he did. But um, when the tables turned, it just, he was not able to do that for, for give me the same equal, like um, encouragement. Wait, he was able to have a relationship with someone else? A full relationship? Yeah. Yeah. Like during the time where he was like, let me see if this is like sort of what I want for my life or could, you know, entertain in my life. Um, he was seeing someone and I, I had like given him kind of like a head, like, like a head start, I guess, because I wanted him to feel comfortable. Like, and so then this went on for a while. And when I like basically started to try to date, like he just really didn't couldn't couldn't do it and um we tried like we we saw a therapist 
and and specifically worked all through this. And like, ultimately he just decided like, it wasn't really for him. Wow. I, I, I love the way this conversation is going. And Shalise, you took some of the words right out of my mouth. Um, I, I'm so happy that we're framing this conversation through uh, the effects and the impact of purity culture, because I, I think it's probably if, if, if people were to listen to uh, our episode about polyamory and, and ethical non-monogamy, it almost sounds like uh, it almost sounds like an endorsement of that's the way to go or or that's what, you know, the, the next stage of human enlightenment or development is. And that's just not true. Uh, it's every person has to do what is is the right path for them and what turns them on. I, I think the best part of this of your story is, you know, you, you become sexually active when you're married at 19. Uh, nine, eight, nine years later, you finally are asked and, and given permission to consider the question, what turns me on? What, what, what do I, what do I want out of a sex life? And then, you know, you go through this, uh, this ups and downs with your partner and it's just a, it's just a, it's a situation where uh, this is a messy thing and it's important to go into a committed and go into a relationship, whatever the phrase committed means to anyone to go into that with uh, agreements and purity culture takes away many of our ability to have those conversations and make those agreements, whether it be, I am in, I'm into a monogamous uh, relationship. I'm into a polyamorous relationship uh, and all the things in between the stuff that we talked about at the very beginning, uh, putting women on a pedestal, women not being able to explore their sexuality, me saying the thing about this is a problem with men not being able to control their, their sexual urges. All of that is the remnants of what purity, what, what the, institutionalization of purity culture does to each one of us and to our relationships and to our own personal shame and to our own ability to, to vocalize and communicate what type of things turn us on. And they, and we end up in, we end up in a, a situation where you look across the, the world, not just the country, you look across the world and you have, uh, people in marriages that don't gel, or you have people in marriages facing adultery, or you have people in marriages facing all sorts of hardship and pain. And it's not that there's a right answer. People got to do what they, people got to do what is inside them, what's best for them, what turns them on. But there's no endorsement of monogamy or ethical non-monogamy or polyamory or anything, anything else. It's an endorsement of we need to topple and break down this rape culture and this purity culture that uh, does not allow for us to have these conversations. Sorry, that was a little bit of a diatribe. No, I, Doug, you know what is disturbing me? You're talking about that though. I had a little bit of a breakthrough, personal breakthrough. Oh. Is that purity culture is also perfectionism culture, right? I mean, that's what yeah. purity culture is. I remember even being a kid and loving the scripture like, it was, I think it's an Isaiah and it talks about like, though your skins be as, or your skins, your sins be as red as scarlet. I will make them as white as snow. Just wanting to be clean, wanting to be pure. 
wanting to be perfect. And it comes into my life now in a way of even leaving the church and thinking, okay, now there is no bar. Now there is no like uh, standard of being worthy. I am worthy. I am whole, you know, like there's no bar I have to hit anymore. There's still this fear of doing things imperfectly and without making a mistake, but you're always going to make a mistake. You're going to go into the woods and you're going to take the left. You're like, wow, that didn't work. But the only way you do it, you have to pick a path. And if you don't, if you're so worried about stepping onto the path because you're worried about making a mistake, you're never going to, you're never going to take a step. And so what I'm going to say is kudos to you. I was almost said your name, but like I've, for, I've almost said your name like 10 times. Yeah, it's, like, it's been a little, it's been, it's been a little hard. Like, it's like, I just want to say, I want to shout it from the rooftops and I was just like, like <laughs> but that you, you went down that you followed your intuition of like, Hey, this is something that's not going away. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about the spectrum and, and Doug, I'm glad you mentioned that like, yeah, monogamy, polyamory, it's not like this is the path, but it's like, if, if your soul's resonating with this thing of like, Hey, I, there's something about another person that's really speaking to me mm-hmm. and willing to go there. And even if it means quote unquote, making some mistake, mistakes along the way, because the fear of making mistakes is just a continuation of this purity culture bullshit we've been talking about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I remember one like really damaging fight that we had and I, I totally understand why he was so hurt by it. But I said like in the midst of it, like, if you don't like do this with me, then I'm going to cheat. And I, that's really, really fucked up for me to say to him, like how painful that is, um, to tell him, like, I'm going to cheat on you. It's like very, um, manipulative. Um, but really like my intention was to say, like, I'm trying to be honest with you. Like, this is not going to go away. Like I cannot go the rest of my life without experiencing other love and like a sex with other people. Yes. But like love with other people was something that was, was bigger for me. And like the whole like diatribe of like an emotional affair, like in our society, like people really put an emphasis like on like emotional affairs and all this stuff. But like, I think a lot of us are really starved for um, emotional connection and I, I personally am not the kind of person that can only get that from one person. And sure, like I could have friends and, the, and that's how I dealt with it before. Like I had platonic friends that I cared for and, and loved. I just met another person and he happened to be a man. Like, and I happened to be sexually attracted to him also but he was bringing me that same piece. And, and so it just really fell into place for me. Like, I don't want to cut off my connections. Like I, I do want to allow um, my connections to sort of grow into whatever they do. And I, I understand also that this is a kind of a, a concept that's hard for a lot of people to understand. And I understand that it, I understood that it was hard for him to wrap his head around, but I was 
you know, 30, I think we started this whole thing when I was 30 and it's like, I got married when I was 19 and I was a completely different person. And I'm, I felt like I was just like becoming this whole new human and this is who I really am. Like strip away the religion and the shame and the guilt around my sexuality and come into who I am. And this is really who I am. Yeah, exactly. And when you think about how not only were you shamed and guilted when you had sex before you were married, but they only presented you with one option to fix that. It was a marriage between a man and a woman. And that was the only way it was, this is how your sexuality has to look. This is how your relationships have to look. And it's very just one option. (laughs) So imagine if we were even given the option, if people were educated on what polyamory looked like, I didn't even know what that word was until maybe five years ago. Yeah. What is that? I didn't even know that was a thing Um, because we're so forced into this traditional path. And so, I mean, I think that's why it's so hard sometimes where people feel like, oh, is something wrong with me? Like, why do I want to connect with all these people? Like, am I sinful? Am I greedy? Well, no, like you said, it's just part of who you are. That's just, just like we're finding out that there's a spectrum of sexuality. Um, Not everyone is just gay or straight. There's like Mm -hmm. a whole spectrum and it's okay to have a spectrum of sexuality, a spectrum of gender and a spectrum of how you want to experience relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that idea is really where my desire to um, start my account began because I was like, how do we change this? Like, how do we get young people talking about non-monogamy or not even young people, like, you know, people who are just getting into relationships for the first time, like it should be a common conversation that comes up and maybe that you know it ends at neither of us are into that and that's not something I want for my life I want a monogamous relationship or maybe it's like I'm open to that for the future and we can keep talking or whatever or I want it right now like but I think that that conversation is so vital um in terms of compatibility like this is something that should be being talked about at the start of every relationship. So, so you start, you, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I just, I, I, I mean, my account was, I had met, um, another ex-vangelical, um, ex-vangelical. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I, or do you guys use that term? I, I guess not. Cause you're obviously you weren't evangelical. So yeah, it's like a Mormon. Yeah. 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 Ex-Mormon. So for us, it's ex-vangelical. <laughs> So, um, and I, uh, I had met him sort of around when, um, we first opened and we instantly bonded on that, that background of, um, having left religion and, um, purity culture and everything. And so we spent a long time just like communicating online about like our trauma associated with purity culture and, um, I recognized that I was like finding people in my life who had this same purity culture background and was traumatized by it. And I was like, man, like, and and also like the the non-monogamy piece as well. Like a lot of the people I talked to, like 
had been faced with this question, like how, how am I going to ever experience being with other people in the context of remaining, you know, married to the person I want to be with or whatever, or maybe some of them were, um, finally coming to terms with their sexuality and they found themselves being bi or they wanted to, you know, be with, uh, the same gender or whatever. Um, but I was just, I was finding these people and, I kept looking, like, is there a space for the intersection of non-monogamy and um, and, pure, and leaving purity culture? And I couldn't find it. So that's when I started my account. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, it's so cool. Let's, let, let, have we said the account? We want to make sure that we're kind of wrapping up here, but can, we, we want people to find you and follow you and track you down and get thoughts from you and get, I, I mean, just what's can you say your is it is it the instagram account only or are there other ways people can uh, find you yeah so i'm on instagram um that's where basically the most of my um content is on instagram i love uh, i love that you called it the instagram i call it that too <laughs> did i say the instagram oh man you did you I did and know. i'm happy i'm very happy you did. <laughs> um at purity to polyamory um, I think I'm on Twitter. Like I tweet sometimes. Um, I, um, but just a few weeks ago launched my podcast. Ooh. So super, super excited about that. Um, again, I don't know of any other podcast that's, that is combining these, these two things, um, for an entire podcast. Um, but I've, I've had, um, two different guests so far, and the first guest was someone who, with a very similar background as me who had gotten married young and um, her and her husband have are now polyamorous. Um, and I have some other really exciting guests coming up. I have one um, friend of mine who left an actual like cult, like could not watch television, like wow. <laughs> in this Actually, cult. yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and that is now polyamorous. And so just like that, that journey is basically the idea behind the podcast and it's been really awesome. That's amazing. What, and what's the podcast called? Purity to polyamory. Very easy. <laughs> and that's what the Instagram is. Too. That's the Instagram too. Purity to polyamory or pu- yep. purity to poly. Uh, purity to polyamory. Okay. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, I guess to kind of wrap it up, I mean, the what's the what's the response? I mean, it's been cool to watch it just grow so quickly. And I think it's only the beginning of where that account's going. So, yeah, what's what's been your favorite things? I guess what's what's the response been? What have you learned? I guess that's a lot of questions in one. But. <laughs> I did not expect how many people would identify with that. But I think um, and I kind of um, circling back like people come from the purity, um, the purity standpoint, like in different ways, like, and even if you were never religious, purity culture has influenced you because like here in the West, like we still, I mean, our sex education is still pushing abstinence in in certain parts of the country, you know? And so these things affect us as a whole. And, um, and so I've just, I've received so many, um, stories about people who were really traumatized by purity culture. And, um, a lot of people in the space of, I am in a monogamous marriage. Um, 
we're navigating it together because we both want this and we both recognize like, like those, those ones are usually the ones that are sort of similar on their deconstruction journey, you know, like they've kind of deconstructed at similar rates. Um, and then there's other people who like are in monogamous marriages and maybe their spouse like isn't deconstructed or is super angry that their spouse like isn't, doesn't have a faith anymore. Um, and in that context, like the, the non-monogamy conversation is almost always like off the table. It's just like, you know, a pipe dream at that point. Um, so like, I think we just, um, I work pretty closely with a, an account called um, Remodeled Love and they have a um, Discord uh, server, I guess. Is that what it's called? A server? <laughs> server? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Recently, um, we just collaborated on doing another channel called Mono to Poly Limbo. Oh. Um, what is limbo? What do you mean? Like, like oh, you're in limbo. You're yeah, in the limbo. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not, doing the, not doing the limbo, Mike. Like, you know, the <laughs> limbo boy and girl. <laughs> in, around the limbo world. Yeah. yeah I like I, that because there's probably a lot of people in that state, right? Where it's like, yeah, that's seems yeah. Like- I don't, and I like I, I don't like to use the word stuck, but like there's people who are struggling with this idea that they're gonna be with one person and maybe they love them, you know, so much and they want to be with them, but they're they know that it's gonna be a really really hard conversation or it's gonna be an absolute no, you know. Um, and so I get a lot of those people <laughs> in my um, DMs and just sort of in that limbo space. So I don't know. It's just, it's been, it's been interesting and really like, I feel very honored to hear everyone's stories and just sort of try to meet them where they're at. Cause I've been through it. Nice. And, and stay tuned for your upcoming YouTube channel that just shows people doing the limbo. Right. I mean, that's the next <laughs> step. This is a YouTube channel of people doing the limbo. Hours and hours of people dancing around doing the limbo. The bar goes down. Sometimes they're doing roller skating. I don't know. I'm on board. I don't but think I, that's I, the way to end this thing, but that's my I final, just want to say, I think it's really <laughs> cool what you're doing and in changing the narrative. And it's very important. And I'm just excited to see where it goes from here. And thank you for coming on and, and talking about this with us. And yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, this was awesome. I Thank mean, you. we need to do it again sometime soon. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, y'all. Okay. Bye. I love. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to Mormons on Mushrooms podcast. We have so much fun recording it. And if you love it, we would absolutely love it if you could leave a review on wherever you get your podcasts. It would really help our visibility so more people can listen to it and be enlightened and hear our crazy stories. So thanks again for tuning in. Bye.